Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad that you're here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. I want to thank one of our sponsors for today's show, and that is Hooray Mail. Hooray Mail is a subscription snail mail. Remember those things that came in your mailbox cards? It's a subscription snail mail that's delivered twice per month for kids ages 2 to 6. In each brightly colored envelope, find a personalized card and a fun activity. The activities are super simple and begin and can be done in five minutes using supplies you already have around your home, like crayons or scissors. Hooray Mail is perfect for working moms, proud grandmas, or aunts and uncles who want to give the kids that mean the most to them a meaningful and lasting gift that delivers joy and love, one mailbox at a time. Use the code Happy Hour to get 50% off your first month of Hooray Mail. That's two snail mail carts per month. Guys, my kids love getting mail, and this is such a great gift for the little kids in your life. So head on over to HoorayMail.com and use the code HAPPYHOUR. Guys, today you're listening to episode 83, and my guest is Joe Saxton. Joe is a mom and a speaker and a writer, and her and her family live in Minneapolis. We have an awesome conversation today about discipleship and mentors that you're not going to want to miss out. Before we get to that conversation with Joe, I want to make sure that you're subscribed to the show on iTunes. It's super easy, I promise. Just go to jamieivy.com slash iTunes and click subscribe. When you do that, it ensures that you don't miss any new episodes. So if you could take a minute and do that, I'd be super grateful. Okay, guys, here is my conversation with Joe. Okay, so Joe, you're in Minneapolis, am I right? Yes, yes. It's, uh, what's today? It's the day after Easter. What yeah. is, I don't even know what the date is. Okay, it's March 28th, right? 28th, yeah. What's the weather like? You know, it is miraculous. It because is. Don't y'all have amazing weather in the spring or is it still cold? It's normally, normally it is like 30 degrees, really cold and snow. But here today I'm looking at, I'm in my daughter's room and I'm looking at the window and it is like 50 degrees. No, it's going to be a high of 57, which for us is a high. And there is, and it's green. I can see green outside. This That's, is a wonderful thing. Which normally you would see white. Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Da- um, last week there was a snowstorm about 30 miles away. They got 11 inches. So oh, my word. <laughs> I'm really happy. I'm really happy it wasn't us. I don't even like, my brain can't even, you know, comprehend that. Yes. There's Be- a, it's, it's very white and very um, deep when it gets like that. <laughs> it's even white. It's- like God's love for us. Oh my gosh. So much. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, um, here in Austin, it's beautiful. It's going to be like 77 today. I mean, it's just my favorite time of the year besides oh, okay. the allergies. Like my son is actually homesick today because I think allergies are just kicking his tail. Oh, okay. Um, besides the allergies, the spring and the fall are my favorite times of the year. And the summer is just, it's misery. Mm, I but feel your pain. Not you guys. You guys have great summers. That's what we I hear. Have- yeah, we have great summers. We also have great sized mosquitoes, which does uh, take the edge off a little bit. <laughs> it takes the edge off a little bit. But the fall is amazing. The fall is my favorite of well, all time. I think I've, I might have told this story on here before. I don't remember. But when Aaron and I were newly married about, I mean, we didn't have any kids. We were, I mean, really newly married within six months uh, or maybe a year. I don't remember. You know, time is forever ago. But anyhow, we almost took a job in Minneapolis. Okay. And so we flew up there. We were young little people, didn't have a clue about the world or life. And we flew up there and it was in November. It was right before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And Joe, it was freezing. And like, and they kept saying, oh, this is warm. And I'm thinking, (laughs) I don't know if I can do this. This Texas girl cannot handle this. And so I have never experienced your beautifulness. I've only been there thinking, 
oh dear lord if it gets worse than this i can't hang so oh well you know they were the thing is they were probably right as well because november's not the coldest time i mean it's like january it's painful after christmas it's painful because you haven't even got christmas to look forward to (laughs) you're just like what's (laughs) next you're just cold oh man well i'm so glad that we get to chat today i have met you through the if gathering Mm-hmm. which is where yes. I've met a lot of amazing women. And I just was thinking about you this morning, and I wanted to tell you that um, if you are listening and you've never met Joe, I hope that you get the chance to because what I feel when I'm around you is we've only met, I mean, just a handful of times and maybe yeah. even at another conference here in Austin. I, I believe that you were here for something. But what I feel when I'm around you is that, like, we're friends. And I oh, and I don't, right. you know, and I, and I don't say that in a weird way, but I say that in a way that, like, you have a great, you do a great job and you have a great personality of making oh, everyone you. that you come in contact with feel as though you really do like them, you know? And so I do. I, do. I actually do as well. I do. I love, I love being with people. I, I am like that extrovert who just loves people time. So yeah, it's fun. Oh, you can tell that you love it. And um, as someone who speaks and travels, I know that that can be wearing sometimes, but it doesn't feel like it is for you. And so thank you for making me feel like a friend i mean oh, you know thank you thank you well i've enjoyed even just the little snippets of getting to know you so i'm i'm excited i'm, Super I'm excited okay joe for those that are listening that might not know who you are give us the 30 second elevator pitch of what you do okay well i um i do a number of things i'm i'm a mom and a, a wife and a mom i'm married to a guy called chris i've got two girls in elementary school i have a dog Oh, I have a dog. But anyway, um, (laughs) I'm on the leadership team of a church called Mission Point here in the Twin Cities area of Minneapolis. And I chair the board of an organization called 3D Movements. And we work with churches who are looking at how they do discipleship and mission in as many creative ways as possible. So I and I write and I speak and I co-host a podcast with my friend Steph as well. So yeah, Yeah, give us a little plug for your podcast because I mean, people are listening to this podcast. So they're fans of podcasts. So tell us. What is your podcast? And then I want to dive into some other stuff that you just said. Okay. So the podcast is called Lead Stories. And it's basically Steph and I talking about leadership and life. And um, it came out of a few things, really. We really have a passion to empower leaders. And we recognize that not everybody gets to go to a conference. Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets time. Um, and particularly women. Particularly women. We've, we're juggling so many things. We don't always have the opportunities. So yeah. we were thinking, how can we bless and invest in leaders of every stage and phase of life? And when we say leadership, we don't necessarily mean just upfront and visible. Mm-hmm. They may be leading in their PTA. Right. They may be serving in their community. They may be the mum who every kid in the neighborhood comes to that's what we're thinking about. right yeah you know, you know those leaders they like say they're so, never leaders yeah and they're leading where you are they're leading and where people they are following you whether that's eight-year-olds or exactly. you know masses exactly and I think we we really have a heart for them and just wanted to think how can we serve so that that woman who is wherever she is in life could have something in a week something in a week which would resource her and it came out of that so we yeah we do a weekly podcast and we talk on things to do with character and the how-tos of leadership and just sharing our stories as well because so much of our learning um about leadership comes through the stories that we share with one another. So, yeah. That's so fabulous. And I um, encourage everyone to go check that out. Your co-host, how did you and her meet? Or have y'all been friends for a long time? 
we've been friends for maybe about four or four or five years. And she was actually someone who came up to me and asked me to mentor her. Um, a, a woman called Steph. She's a pastor at a church not far from where I live. And um, she's basically become one of those friends who've become part of our family, really. My kids adore her. When I go traveling and speaking, she, she'll come and take them out and she, yeah. she takes them skating and stuff or takes them, to, uh, takes them to get ice cream, these huge ice creams that I would never buy. And All they, the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. So she's rapidly become like an extended member of the family, which is great. And, um, and so it was one of those mentoring relationships where actually I felt I was getting more out of it. Than she, than <laughs> yeah. <she was. laughs> which is fun. And, and um, we, were t- we kind of worked together. Our churches served alongside each other, training young adults together a few years ago. And then one of the young adults said to us, you guys should do a podcast one day. And we both laughed at him and said, we, no one's got time. No one's got time and no one really cares. <laughs> Right, and, right. And it just kind of grew out of that. Then one day we thought, oh, let's give it a try and let's see how. And then it, it grew from there. So, yeah, she's great. She's a really good friend. Oh, Wonderful. I love it. Do you love podcasting as much as I do? I do. I didn't think I'd love it as much as I do, but I absolutely adore mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I think it is that one extrovert. I get to talk to people. Right. Um, and I And it's been wonderful getting the feedback. I forget how how isolated certain people can be. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that it's this easy free resource. I just, I love it. I love oh, it. It's, it's, I say it all the time. It's my most favorite thing that I do right now. And I have my hands on a couple things and it's my favorite. I mean, yeah. I just, I really love it. I, I like you, I, um, I love talking to women about their stories and what they are passionate about. Mm. Um, and so getting to do that here and just yesterday at church, this sweet girl came up to me and she was just like saying that she's a new mom and she's like, I'm alone at home a lot, which is yes. my child. And she's like, it's so fun to feel like I get to sit with you and your girlfriends as y'all chat. I'm like, that's what this is about. So love it. Love it. Okay, Joe, I want to talk with you about discipleship. Yes. You are super passionate about that. um, And it, it oozes out of you and everything that you do. Um, What if, if someone's listening, which I guarantee someone is because not everyone here is um, quote unquote church, like we might assume that people are, what does discipleship even mean in the context that you're passionate about? Yeah. Well, what, when um, we look at, the way Jesus did discipleship, he was basically sharing his life with other people and helping them become and grow into all that they were designed to be in in their faith. And so when I look at discipleship, the word disciple is um, like in the Greek is methetes and it means a student or an apprentice, someone who's studying, but it's not just a kind of like a book thing. It's a life on life thing. So I would say it's when we're thinking of discipleship, it's that mum who's sharing with another mum. Hey, this is what I've learned as I'm trying to share faith with my kid. These mm-hmm. are some of the mistakes I've made. Come and watch what I do. See what you can learn from it. It's the um, friend saying, hey, this is how I budget and how I've learned how to not kind of wreck, wreck my finances with my credit card. Mm-hmm. And these are some practices I put in place. I think discipleship is really practical. And um, for me, it's captured in that verse. I think it's 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where Paul says to the Corinthian church who are in a bit of a mess, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm-hmm. And he says it again in Philippians. He says, whatever you've learned from me, put it into practice. And it's not just... It's not just anything I do, but all the things that you've learned as a believer, um, you can share with somebody else and it will help them grow. It's not that you're being their savior. It's just that you're a living example of what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah, I love the way that you just kind of broke that down with what that looks like. And I feel like in my life as a 37-year-old mom to four wife ministry is that that Mm -hmm. plays out a couple of different ways. One of the ways that I see it play out the most in my life right now, just because of the stage of life I'm in, and you may feel this way too, because I think, how old are your children? 
Then nine and 10. Yeah. We're in the same boat. Mine, yeah. oldest is 12 to eight is I feel like discipling my children um, is one thing that I feel like so many times women don't feel as though it is true discipleship. Yeah. And I think that it is. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree. I think we, I think we can often guilt ourselves thinking, you know, I'm only doing this or the classic, I'm just a mom or I'm just an aunt or I'm just a godmom or Mm -hmm. just a, um, just the grandma and actually these are key years one thing I learned even I say this to mums but I also say this to the godparents and stuff as well I I learned this from the woman who mentored me a woman called Sally Breen they got their kids when they hit middle school age to choose another another godparent Mm. um for someone who they looked up to as a kind of model of discipleship and they'd often choose someone in their 20s who would be another young adult who'd be able to show Mm -hmm. them and walk the faith through with them and um that those there are so many ways in our everyday life we don't realize we're discipling and I would say to those of us who are mums as well to not underestimate our kids I mean we know it they're watching us every single second of every day and on one level we can feel the burden of that but there's also incredible potential incredible potential for sure I love how you talked about how they you said that story that they let them pick another kind of godparent to walk through them um, my husband, um, Aaron has been a, he's just a phenomenal mentor and disciple discipler. And he mm. has, he pretty much like will handpick a guy and spend a, a really intense amount of time with them. And, um, I remember this one, um, guy who's like, a, he's like literally like family to us now yeah. and his entire family is like family to us. I mean, we really do consider ourselves a part of the Garza family. They're, they're yeah. Garza. And he started hanging out with Logan when he was in high school and um, I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if the mom is a, or the parents are a little ever thinking, oh, I wish he hung out with us more, you know, or like he yeah. would go choose to like go to a game with Aaron or something. And I remember I've talked to this parents about this before. And now that I'm entering into that, my oldest is 12. And yeah. I'm actually praying for someone to come along him the way that Aaron came along yeah. Logan is I see it kind of differently from a parent's kind of view. And I kind of think. Dear God, would you please bring someone into my kid's life that's going to say the exact same things I'm saying? Yeah. And and they want to hear from them, you know? I, I think yes. it's huge, huge. There, are, I mean, I think in some ways, if I'm honest, it's one of the reasons why I love mentoring tw- 20-something women because they, they've become our babysitters and they oh, are incredible yes. women of God. Incredible women of God. And I know right now my kids feel free to talk to me about things that even I'm like, oh, okay. We uh-huh. Here we it. go. All right. Go. All right. Then let's, <laughs> let's talk about the facts of life again in yes. detail. Thanks yeah. so much, school. I really appreciate that. However, yeah. I, I, I want to be mindful of the moments when there are there are things where they may feel too vulnerable to share mm. with me mm-hmm. or they might feel obliged to be good kids all the time or, you know, they're aware their mum's in ministry and they might want to keep a good face. I want them to, I want them to have, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously cultivating the kind of relationship with them personally where they can say anything, but just in case they can't, yeah. just in case I'm away that weekend even and my phone is engaged or whatever that there is always somebody who they respect in the lord who um, who can speak their language who is a generation closer to them um i think it's huge for us and so, and i love I'm, i've started talking with my eldest tia saying i want you to be thinking and praying about who who you look at and admire mm-hmm. as a christian um what girl you look at and admire because maybe that she'll be will add her to your godmother list oh so you're are you going to implement that with your kids yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Love it. Definitely, definitely. Because um, I became godmother to Sally, who was my mentor. I became godmother to one of her daughters, who's Becky, who's 30 now. Through that process. Through that she process, said, yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's, 
I mean, I, and I think they would say it's had a, it was, it was a key thing for family life, you know? And, and so I've seen it so fruit, not just me, I, it happened a lot in our church in England, a number of people who did that. Mm. Um, so a number of us who were the godmothers who now have children of that age are doing the same thing. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I would be honored if anyone that Aaron has walked alongside would come back and be like, I'd like to disciple one of your sons. I mean, that would just be like, Oh my gosh. And that's a wheat fest, isn't it? You're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's so wonderful. Um, so, so you have, did, I missed it. Do you have a girl and a boy or two girls? Two girls, yeah. And um, I'm curious. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. You and your husband are both British. Yes. Okay, this is going to sound like <laughs> the dumbest question ever. <laughs> and you're going to just, you're going to be like, I never knew Jamie could stoop so low with a question. I'm assuming that your girls also have a British accent, even though I think they were born here in the States. Am I correct? They were born in the States, but they don't have our accent at all. <gasps> because they spend so much time around other peers, huh? Yeah. As soon as they hit preschool, they lost. gone. As soon as they hit preschool. I've told them, you know, Jamie, I've told them, I said, look, you need to know how to do it just <laughs> for... <laughs> Just for bragging rights in your high school years. Sometimes that's going to get you out of a bad situation. Yes. Alone. And they actually can, um, particularly my eldest, Tia, she turns on a British accent whenever she wants to mock me, I think. Oh, my gosh. And and I said, look, just refine it, kid. Just refine it. Keep working on it. Your day will come where you will be grateful and and when this will be useful to you. So, so So, yeah, they... They sound complete stateside, completely stateside. That is amazing. Um, you and your husband's name is Chris. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Do y'all mm-hmm. have any family here in the states, or is everybody overseas? Everybody's overseas. Okay. Yeah. How is that? You know, it has been challenging. There mm-hmm. were particular times when the family felt particularly far away. I mean, obviously, the the hardest, the hardest time would have been probably about eight years ago. My father died, and my foster mother died in the space of about five weeks. Oh. Um, and we were we were in Minnesota. Chris was doing a training thing, so we were away even from our friendship group, our, our the the family we'd cultivated, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was probably the loneliest year of my life. Um, being just being away from people who you don't have to explain anything mm-hmm. to, or who you can just put the kids with, and you know what I mean yeah. that, that day. Um, that was that, and and it's just it was very hard to be feel so far away. Um, from family at that, at that time. But I think, um, I mean, my, my, on my side of the family, we, uh, there are a lot of us who've traveled, like my brother, I have a brother who lives in Hong Kong. Um, so we're kind of used to it. We're kind of used to being a global family who all, we text each other a lot and we have these random, we send each other random things at random times just because (laughs) like, you know, you'll hear from each other middle of the night because Because of the time zones, time zones. And like, Christmas Day, part of Christmas Day is spent just kind of going around the world on Skype talking to people. <laughs> There's something really intriguing about that, though, if you think about it. I mean, most people probably, their families live within the country for sure, but some people, a lot of people, within like 60 miles. Yeah. And you have this kind of world traveling family, which is amazing. Yeah, totally. It's given our, it's, I mean, it's been great for our girls in terms of giving them a, a picture of the world. It does make, it does make it slightly random when they get home from their summer their summer vacation, their summer vacations, when they talk about what they did at school. And like one of like Zoe, my youngest, um, she was, she said, I was talking in my class about what we did. And she said, my friend went to see her grandma in Wisconsin uh, just the next day over. And she said, so I told them about when I went to Paris and climbed the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Zoe, you're making us sound way more wealthy than we are. You know? That's hilarious. She's like, I lo- and I told them how much I love Monet. And I'm like, oh my goodness, eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. So my next question would be, how often do you travel with your girls? 
you know, I, I try to do at least one or two a year where I can. I mean, we've been really blessed. Like whenever I go to England for work and I'm going for a long time, the kids come with me. Um, but this past year, I'm, we were, I was speaking at an event in Orlando. And so the, we surprised them with a trip to Disney. We didn't tell oh, them until the, the day, until the day we were going. I got them dressed for school and everything and said, hey, just to let you know, you're not going to school today. Um, Mum's speaking in Orlando and you're coming too. And we're going to Disney. <laughs> And Did they, they just, lose their mind? Oh, my word. It was hilarious. They just screamed. They screamed like really high dog whistle screams. Right. For a long- <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. Okay. I'm going to totally detour us here. I have been wanting to take my kids um, to something Disney because I just feel like it's very American. Like that a child cannot grow up without going to something Disney. Um, was it worth all of the hoopla? You know, it's the weirdest thing, Jamie, as well, because we lived in California for a while, so we've done both. We've okay, done Disney- yeah. Disney- I grew up going to Disneyland because my grandparents lived there. Yeah, Disney World is a different phenomenon entirely, um, entirely. And I actually, I'm not even a big Disney fan. It's t- I feel terrible for saying it. I, I'm even whispering because I'm not a really big fan <laughs> of Disney. You're British. You can say whatever you want. And, uh, so, <laughs> so, but even I, even I liked it. Even I liked being there. And, and I do think it is quite a big cultural phenomenon. I kind of stood around just staring at people yeah. and Wow, this is like being in America. This is America. <laughs> I'm in Animal Kingdom and I'm in, I'm in America now. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But yeah, we so loved funny. it. We, the kids adored it. We loved, loved, loved it. Okay, well, I'm going to have to keep thinking about it. Okay, this leads me to ask you this. What, from, how long have you been in the States? Um, 12, 13 years this year. 12, 13 years, yeah. Okay, so most of your life was not lived in the States so far. No. Um, what are some things, like you just said, I'm standing in American kingdom. This is so American. What are some things that to you are so American? Oh, um, let me think. You know, I think one of the things that fascinated me most when I first moved here was how, um, this might seem like an odd one, but I think people love starting up businesses here. Like in, like the women's magazines, everybody was starting up a new business or a new, like a, um, like a kind of side, not kind of side hustle, but a side business. Okay. It's a lot of creativity, really entrepreneurial, which you would not see in England to the same degree oh. at all. At all. Um, so that was fascinating because I would, I would look at the same magazine. Like you'd have, I don't know, Glamour magazine uh-huh. in England or Glamour magazine in the US, and they'd have completely different stories. <laughs> and, the, and the US ones would often be a woman who was kind of, okay, she'd reached the stage in her life and she started this side business, and now she has 35 employees. And I'm like, wow, who, how, who did you do this? How? Right. And, and that, that was one of the first things I noticed. I think, there's, um, I think there is a love of the great outdoors um, and, and a love that we fell in love with the road trip here mm. as a family. Um, that feels really American to me, partly because English roads are really narrow <laughs> and it takes you a long time to get anywhere. Whereas I think where now me driving, me driving 40 minutes doesn't, I, I don't even think about it. Right. It's, yeah. It's a big thing. England, that's a weekend trip. <laughs> you're, you're, in a, you're in another country. You're, in, you're, in a, you're going to another city and it's like, you're only going to drive that far if you're going for a weekend or if you're kind of, you're not doing that for overnight. I would not drive six hours in England to be somewhere for two days. If I'm going to drive six hours, I'm going there for two weeks. That's the deal. That is uh, so funny, but it, we think nothing of it. And I'm still a mate. I mean, I, when people tell me that they drove through the night or they drove 14 hours, I still can't. <laughs> I, I've built up. I've built up within my stamina now to do six hours. Like you can handle that. I can do that now. I can do that. I can get snacks. We're ready. We, we got a minivan specifically for the road trips <laughs> yeah. so that no one would go insane. I can do that. But I'm still, I'm still, that's, that has been one of the things of like, 
getting out there and getting on the road, that's, that feels like a very American thing to me. That's funny. Now, uh, so I, my question, in England, you would probably get on a train or yes. mm-hmm. a, a flight even because you can just get almost anywhere. Well, and also you're so close to mainland Europe. So when I lived in California, you fly four, four hours from California, you get to Atlanta, you fly four hours from England, you're in Greece. Right, right. And you've covered a few countries along the way. Yes. You know? The other so, day I flew to Portland from Austin and I felt like I was on an international flight. I mean, it took me forever to get there and I was still yeah. in the United States. It just it goes on for days. America just goes on and on and on. And it does feel I mean, for me, I I don't know if you feel this. It feels like seven countries. It feels like America is like lots of different countries like you go to the south and it's one way you go to the northeast and it's a different kind of culture and the clothes and stuff are different. The different ways of being Texas is its own place <laughs> we like to, we like to think that we are <laughs> its own place but um yeah so it's it's fascinating i feel even though it's been 12 years i'm still discovering lots about america does england do you feel like it has those separate little like how you said america has all these separate places do you feel that way there um yeah because it has it, whilst it doesn't have states it has d- different counties but they're not governed in, they're not governed separately in okay. the same way mm-hmm. And, and um, it's just far more condensed. You'll find a range of accents in a shorter span of, um, of places. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it feels, it, I mean, it just does feel small. It is smaller. I think England fits into Texas maybe three or four times. Right, so, yeah. So it, it, it is, it's condensed. It's a lot more concentrated. But there are, again, there is still the North and the South divide. There are, there are distinctives with different cities. Like I grew up in London and London is like one of those big cities that feels it's a country all by itself. Right. Um, so there, it's definitely got that quality about it. It just doesn't have the space. And I mean, it has the views and the beauty and everything, but it doesn't have the same kind of intensity of space that the U.S. has. I've been to London just like three or four times. And um, one of the things I noticed about it that I really was intrigued by um, was the way that the living was done, whereas um, – and this probably happens in parts of the U.S., just not where I live, obviously. But um, just a bunch of houses all together, like condos, and mm-hmm. then huge parks. Yeah. And so there's no, like, backyard or front yard, but everyone goes to the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that is kind of resembles New York City. I just have never lived there. You know, I live in, you know, the country and the suburbs. But I really was intrigued by that and just thought about how that would, you know, speaking of discipleship, about how that would almost kind of breed a little bit more of, like, everyone we're going to meet here every day you know since there's no like backyard for me and my family to hang out with and be secluded we end up at the park around lots of people yeah I think that I think that's very true I think it's true for where I grew up in London and when I went to college in a city called Sheffield um that was very true there it's funny when you said that I thought yeah we did we went to the parks because you had to there was nowhere else yeah there's just not that much land and I think as and there are the meeting spaces I guess in England there'd be the park I think for the adults it would be the pub to be Mm -hmm, honest it would mm -hmm. be the pub which wasn't which was as much about a social environment as it was about anything else oh for sure yeah do you mean it? And then, the, and later it would be the coffee shop. Much later on, mm. it would be the coffee shop. But it would. There were these. There, there are those communal spaces where you, you. There wasn't enough room for you to just do your own thing and be that isolated and that individualistic. So yeah. there were community things to do instead. And the pubs would be like overflowing. Uh, oh yeah. After work, 
I mean, oh, everyone oh. is like, if they just walk from their office, they look like they're in work clothes. Yeah. Um, not the work clothes that I wear on a daily basis, which resemble workout clothes or pajamas. <laughs> um, but they're, and the pubs would just be overflowing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because they are as, they are a connecting point. I mean, we, we had in our church days, we did a lot of our mission stuff there, to be brutally mm-hmm. honest with you, because mm-hmm. people, uh, again, it's, it's an extension of the living room. And yeah. it's the kind of stop point before you go home back to family life. It's your let's meet up for the day. Or if there's a game on, if there's a soccer game, oh, on, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Crazy. <laughs> um, Crazy. But yeah, they were the meeting points for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if I know what brought you guys here to the States. Well, we moved initially to serve a church in Arizona. Um, the church we were part of in Sheffield was exploring how we did, again, discipleship mission and um had seen a lot happen in the area of young adults. Sheffield was a city where only 2% would be found in church on a Sunday. So um, you either had a big problem or big opportunity, depending right. on, your, right. on your mindset. Um, and um, we, we, thankfully, by his grace, we thought opportunity. And um, we ended up working with a church who um, were exploring um, how to do it. It was a real tough time, actually. It wasn't easy because we weren't aware of how different England and America were at that time. Because it's um, all you knew. I mean, it's all you know, and yeah. you think you speak the same language, and you kind of do, and you can't, and you kind of really don't um, as well. But but um, we moved over with four other families who were all from this church who were looking, and Chris and I, we thought this. We just got married. We'll spend a couple of years here before we have kids. This is a great adventure. That For kind sure. of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and actually, three DM three D movements was born out of that period because there were a number of churches thinking, okay, the world is changing really rapidly. How do we do discipleship and mission that way? And I guess when we had our kids, we just our roots went down in ways we didn't yeah. expect, and um, we decided. And yeah, we. I mean, it was a discerning process. I mean, in some ways, it's a discerning process, and it's also the Department of Homeland Security and whether you get a visa. <laughs> Those things are going at the same time. So we were just kind of praying and saying, okay, God, if we get a green card, we'll stay. And you did. And we did in seven weeks. So we decided that was God. Wow. And so what does that mean for you as you've been here 12 years? Um, what, what, when you say, what does it mean in terms of, I mean, what does it mean in terms of, I don't know how the process works with Homeland Security. Are you able to stay here as long as you want? Oh yeah. Now we've got, now we've got, um, green cards. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And, I, and I wasn't because, secure. Sure. Oh, yeah. oh no. Now it's just when we took get our act together admin wise to get citizenship, which we will do. Our children have told us we have to become citizens. Oh, that's true. <laughs> do you know what the process is like? Um, I think we, I think I have to do a test about you things. Have to like sing God bless America or something. I think we have to know certain things about maybe how many States there are and things like that. Probably more important questions than that. <laughs> 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 I think that, but I think there's a, there's a questionnaire of things you have to know and, and, and that as well. And then I think you do pledge allegiance at some point as well. That's interesting. You know, <clears throat> my son, when he came home from Haiti, he came home after the, right after the earthquake. Remember the big oh, wow. earthquake? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so he came home 10 days later and his adoption was not complete on the Haitian side. I mean, it was complete on the Haitian side. It was not complete on the American side. And so they let a bunch of kids come home on what they called humanitarian parole, which mm-hmm. meant you're so far in the process and the Haitian government has already declared you his parents. So we're going to let you come home and finish the process here in the state side instead of finishing it there. So it was great. Oh, wow. It was just like a huge blessing um, that that happened. But he um, had a green card as well. And so um, I have my son has a green card, which is oh, like, wow. interesting. I know, right? <laughs> so there's that. There we go. Uh, but obviously I didn't even know that much about it because, you know, just my kid. Yeah. Um, okay. So I um, 
want to ask you something else. You, I always ask my guests um, to fill out this form, which people that are listening don't even know about this. But And one of the things I ask is if you could go back and tell yourself anything. And yours made me laugh out loud what you said to me. You said, if, what do I ask? If you could go back and tell your younger self? I'm trying to find. I don't even know what you said. But you said this. You said that the body that you have is awesome and it will never be the same again. So enjoy it while you can. Oh, my and gosh, Jamie. I literally yes. laughed out loud because I was like, yes. Yes. Yes, it's true. It's true. And I would say that to myself every five years. I'd say that to myself <laughs> yes. at 20, at 25, at 30, at 35, at 40. I would do all of these things. I would. because, And I, I have to tell you, this is terrible. There was one girl who I knew a few years back, young girl, and she really loved the Lord, really intense, really passionate. And she said, she sat me down. She pulled me away from, I was some event, and she said, Joe, um, um, if you could tell me anything that for my, for the, as I move forward in leadership, what would it be? And I said, look, honestly, <laughs> you're wearing a lot of clothes right now. And <laughs> I said, if I looked as good as you, I probably would wear one layer less. <laughs> oh my God. She looked at me in horror and I thought, I, I, clearly I must've just got on the scales that day or something ridiculous like that. Like oh that. my gosh. She was really, really hoping for this weighty, weighty, yeah, deep weight theological advice. <laughs> and I was just like, honey, you don't need to wear too many sweaters. That's it. <laughs> That's all I've got for you. It's not that cold. Oh my gosh. That's so well, funny. And and I just think we don't appreciate what we have. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. And I'm not, you know, sometimes I think because I, in my late teens, it was, I, I like to call it my less than Christian era. So it's probably for the best that I, <laughs> right. <laughs> for the best. However, I think I probably didn't embrace the fearfully and wonderfully madeness of, mm. of how I was, how I was wired. And, mm. um, and do, do you know what I mean? The, the, when I look at, the, I think back to the weighing scales and the weight that I thought, oh my gosh, I would kill to get back to right? that Right? Yes. <laughs> I would kill some kale yep. to get back to that Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but um, yeah. I, I wish it, I appreciated it more. It's so true. And I like, I never thought about it. She just said it. Like I would tell five years ago self that as well. Um, I would tell my 30 year old self that I think even yeah. more than my 20 year old self, because yeah. right after I turned 30, just a lot of changes happened in our family. And yeah. um, I guess the way I deal with change is eat and stop moving. And so yeah. I, I would tell my 30 year old self that as well. Hey, enjoy it. There you go. Yeah. Guys, before we get back with Joe, I want to tell you about another one of our sponsors, Prep Dish. Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. Each week, you're going to receive an email that's going to contain a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. Basically, the chef, Allison, at Prep Dish is going to tell you exactly what to do. She's going to tell you what to buy. She's going to tell you how to prep it. And then she's going to give you directions for when it's time to cook it. So you're going to spend one day, maybe two to three hours, meal prepping. You're going to get everything ready to go, and then you're going to have meals ready for the rest of the week. And not just any meals, but they're healthy. You can choose between paleo and gluten-free. Prep Dish is literally your answer to what's for dinner because you've already prepped it. Allison is offering all the listeners of Happy Hour a special rate of $4 for the first month. That's $1 for the weekly meal plan. $4 for the first month. Go to prepdish.com slash happy hour to get started today. we're almost coming up on bathing suit season and swimsuit season. And about two years ago, I'm 37. So two years ago was the last time I wore a bikini. Um, and I think I just had this moment of like, I, I don't think wearing a bikini is wrong. I, I don't think that's wrong at all. But I just had this moment where I was like, 
you know what? I think I'm just going to stop. Like, I think that we're done uh-huh. here. You know, like, I don't even, there was no reason. It just for the first time felt like, I think that I'm just going to move on, you know? And um, it was just this moment for me of getting older, but also it didn't feel, I didn't feel it as if I was like shaming my body. Actually, I actually felt it was like, you know, I'm proud of being 35 and I'm proud of what I like these scars or whatever there might be on my body. I'm not ashamed of them. I just am moving on and I'm okay with that. Like I felt like I'm okay. I like it. I like it. No, that's good. I was always really prudish about bikinis and not for any moral reason, just for my sheer, sheer perfectionism in my own head. And I, again, I think you, felt I you couldn't pro- do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I did. I, I, when was the last, I think I probably was in my early thirties. So what, probably, you know what it was just before I had the kids was probably the last time. <laughs> right. Let me put that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely just before. And, but then I went tankini, mm-hmm, yep, I, mm-hmm. I, I, which I, I still love those. Me I love too. the tankini. They're told. And then I thought, let's bring back the fifties anyway, there when you, you kind of had the boy short kind of thing going on. Yeah. I like that. They're in. I am. I much prefer a tankini because of the bathroom situation. Like yes. to be able to just pull down not your entire thing that's covering your body, oh. but just the bottom. Totally, because no one needs to be that cold when you're already wet. <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> right. Let's just be uh-huh. honest. That is so true. I remember when I was growing up, one of my mom and I's biggest fights is that she would not let me buy a bikini. I mean, I was like a senior in high school. I clearly, like, I mean, I was under my parents rules for sure yeah. um, but that was one of our biggest fights ever isn't that funny i remember that that she just refused <laughs> like, like she having... even refused to let me use my own money oh really yeah which i'm like man she must have had like a really good hold on me and like if i obeyed i can't remember if i did or not but yeah that's so <laughs> funny looking back yeah that's um crazy crazy but we just we do learn so much and i not even like we can skip over the body stuff but i think we do learn so much as we get older um man i look back on early 30s and just think Mm -hmm. praise god that he still continues to give us more wisdom and that we didn't stay where we were oh so true I, i mean i i think i remember feeling very conflicted just very very conflicted as I had my children, I had um, uh, Tia at 31, Zoe at 32. Um, and just, yeah, just feeling so conflicted about who I was supposed to be in this new era, this mm-hmm. co- relatively new country, this definitely new body. Yeah. And, yeah. and what, what did I do with my gifts and my talents? And, and did it matter now? And ha- I, I just remember spending time wondering and not really being sure. And so second guessing almost everything mm. I did. How do you walk through that? Cause I know that there, I've heard from a handful of people that are, that are listening to the show that are new moms. Yeah. And so I feel, I, I understand that feeling, the feeling of this new identity in some sense of, yeah. did I lose who I was? Am I yeah. a new thing? Like who, how do I bridge these two together? This, the, the, the passions that I had before I became mm. a mom to this new, like, I'm actually responsible for a human being. Like how, yeah. how did you walk through that? Yeah. I mean, it took me a few years, but there are a couple, there are a few key things that happened. One was, um, one was I, one thing, a discipline that I found really helpful was to thank God for what happened in the previous era mm. and not just feel the loss, but to say almost to put a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, uh, I think, 
where is it in first Samuel? I think it's and anyway, I think there's this moment where they build an Ebenezer, this rock mm-hmm. and they say so far, so far the Lord has helped us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought I needed to build, put my rocks in the sand and say, okay, this is what God did do. Mm-hmm. And let me thank him for that season. Let me thank him for the times when I got to travel more independently. Let me thank him for the way, the things I had. Let me thank him, even though I feel I've missed out on certain things, but things, the things that I gained and I needed to get some perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I then I said, OK, let me thank him for the season I'm in. I'm confused. I don't know how to do it, but I have a new life and it's a privilege. It's not a right that, that you know, not everybody gets to have the life I even have now. Yeah. You know, other, other people are mourning and mm-hmm. are longing whilst I am confused with a child in my arms. Yeah. Um, there are others who long for that confusion because right. it meant that they weren't wrestling with infertility or mm-hmm. repeated miscarriages, stuff like that. So Thanksgiving was a really helpful part for me. And, it, and in some ways that didn't provide any answers, but it certainly took the edge off. <laughs> Yeah, and and I I think that God's word is even clearer about like that that when we give thanks to him, it actually changes our heart uh, towards him and towards our situation. And so that was a huge thing for me. The second thing I had to do was I had to identify where I felt inadequate. And there were a couple of things. Like, um, I think I'd spent my first six years in foster care, which was a wonderful experience, but I didn't realize what it would bring up. I knew it would bring up something. Mm -hmm. I knew it, but I didn't know where and how. Um, it would affect me as I was holding a young, a young baby girl. Um, And, and, and I think there are a couple of things. One, there was a grief, even though I didn't have any regret Mm. and I just had to let that happen Mm -hmm. on one level. And I think the other thing was me thinking, can I do this? Can I, and I know every mum feels it. There's a, there's a trigger for all of us, but I think it's worth identifying. What's the trigger that makes you question? Can I do this? Am I good enough? Am I going to be enough for this child? Am I going to be enough for my spouse still? Am I going to be okay? Um, and, and it, it was really helpful in some ways because my, my own circumstances were kind of dramatic. It made, it forced me to have to admit my feelings of inadequacy straight away and me thinking, God, I don't know. I know how to preach. Mm-hmm. I know how to lead things. I don't know. I don't know if I know how to do this. Right. I, I, I don't. Yeah. And I don't know that I feel the same feelings that I see other mums feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and it, I had to almost just I, again, I had, to, I had to acknowledge it and bring them back to God and say, God, is, is this okay? Mm. It helped having mentors in that time as well who didn't, mentors who knew me mm-hmm. who, um, and weren't trying to project a ideal version of motherhood on me um, was, was key and who would keep, keep me coming back to, you know, what's God saying to you? What are you learning when you receive his word? And honestly, in this time, you may not feel that the Bible studies are going to happen for you much. Just put a CD on and listen to the Bible. <laughs> that, that was my win, honestly. And yeah. And later on with my second child, I had postpartum depression after having her um, hit me like a freight train. And again, I had to, it was really, it it forced me to take off any expectations on myself. Mm. So you, you experienced that after your second child, not your first. Yeah. After my second. Okay. Okay. um, And it was, it was weird because I didn't, I, it, it was a challenging pregnancy and, um, and so it was a, there was this wonderful euphoria when she was born um, that we had made it kind of thing. Mm. And then, then there, were, there was this crash and, with, and it was like the world turned gray. That's the only way I could describe it. I could hold her and I could hold Tia, her sister, and, but I couldn't cope with, and, and Chris was fine as well. Me and Chris were fine, yeah. but I couldn't do anything else. I mean, I couldn't go to church. Mm. I couldn't talk to people. Even people, like some of my friends who I knew from England, they'd moved to the States with me. So these were people who I'd known for 10, 15 years. I couldn't go into their house. I couldn't. I remember standing outside in tears saying, God, help me enter the door. I couldn't do it. 
I could, I remember going to a coffee shop and sitting outside and because I didn't know what to order, I drove home mm-hmm. and I just sobbed because I spent five minutes. No, actually it wasn't five, it was about 15 minutes outside mm-hmm. the coffee shop thinking, should I have a macchiato? Should I have a decaf? Mm-hmm. What do I do? I don't know how to do this. And, I, and my mind was just overblown with all this stuff. Mm. How'd you and, work through that? Um, well, there were a couple of, <laughs> a couple of things. Firstly, Chris was watching mm-hmm. and he, and he, um, he was a pastor at that point and he'd done a chaplaincy in um, a hospital and he'd seen a brochure. He'd been in the natal ward and uh-huh. he'd seen a brochure about postnatal depression and he just felt a prompting to pick it up. He didn't know why. He just picked it up. And then months later, he said he'd been watching and he, he said, look, can I just read this to you and tell me if you feel any of these things? And he read a list of all the symptoms and I felt them all. <sighs> were you I- open to hearing from him or were you like defensive? I think I was just, by that, I was defensive. Mm. Um, I was very defensive, but I think I was also so scared. I, it almost like it caught up with me before I had a chance to resist it. I just yeah. cried. Mm. And, um, and, he, um, and he goes, look, I think we should go to the doctor. And um, I didn't want him to come. I went on my own. Oh. <laughs> and that was just ridiculous. But I just, I, I, it was so unpredictable. And I, I so what I did, I, I called the doctor and I had, a, I had a great doctor, wonderful guy. And he said, he said to me, he said, there are three things that I want you to do. One is um, I want you to exercise. Um, and I want you that, and that's going to be important for you. And he said, I do want you to take medication. I'm going to prescribe a medication for you. Mm-hmm. And he said, I know that you're not going to want to take medication, but I want you to take the medication. And he said, and the third thing you're going to need to do is get counseling. And he said, we've noticed, he said, what we've noticed over the years is the people who recover best do all three. Mm. And um, I, which I didn't, I mean, it surprised me. It surprised, I, I, I just, you know, I was in gray mode. So I was like, okay, let's just go with it. Right. And, um, and I had some really understanding friends who didn't try and make me be anything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They, they brought me out around meals if I needed it. They, they took, we went out for, to see a movie when I needed it. It was yeah. that, I think that the friendship group was really key. Um, though, those three things were really helpful. The med, I mean, the meds helped. They were mm-hmm. like a scaffolding, yeah. you know, they mm-hmm. were the scaffolding so the building could get rebuilt. And yeah. I, and I think it was really helpful. The doctor saying, look, I'm not just going to give you medicine and that's going to make it all better. There is a holistic thing. And, um, and I, I it, it, again, it took the expectations of me trying to be really good for God because mm-hmm. I was like a mess. I'm, I'm so, can't handle. Yeah, you're like I can't, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Lord. I can't even order coffee. Like no, I'm, I'm out of it. Coffee. I can't order coffee. I can't. Um, mm-hmm. So I, so I don't know what else to do. So I remember, I remember listening, and my friends were very patient. There was one song. There was one song I listened to on repeat for about six months. I mean, literally <laughs> all the time. Every time I drove anywhere, and I do had. You remember the song? It was um, a song by a, worship, a friend of mine, actually, a worship leader called Tim Hughes. Okay. And um, it's called When Silence Falls, I think it was called, or, or When the Tears Fall. And it was a lament. And, it's, and it goes, um, when hope is lost, I'll call you savior. Um, when, when pain surrounds, I'll call you healer. And um, when silence falls, you'll be the song in my heart. And it goes, I'll praise you, though the tears fall, still I'll sing to you. Mm. And, um, and, it just, and I just played it again and it again. It was like and- your life. It was, it was my life. Yeah. It, it sang my life for me. Uh-huh. And, and it kind of sang that God was there, even though I wasn't sure how I, I, I wasn't sure how I was functioning. And, um, and then after, and after maybe four, four to five months, um, what I didn't know is my doctor put me on a placebo. And so he was actually lessening the medication the whole time and just watching me, seeing me regularly watching me. Wow. Um, I know he's a good guy. <laughs> he's he's a, good, a great guy. He's a great guy. And um, he made me see him every two weeks mm. um, without fail. And um, 
and I and I was embraced and I embraced the counselling. We met some um, a friend of ours who uh, who knew somebody who was a great counsellor. Um, and um, it, again, it was it was just this whole process of being dismantled mm. and being rebuilt. And and ironically, it really helped me. I mean, it's, it's I mean, this is God's redemptive grace, isn't it? That right. in His grace, that it helped me change my expectations of my thirties oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it helped me be okay with me. Mm. Um, and help, I, I, and I realized that my mothering could be a journey of discovery rather than things I would achieve. Um, like I would discover things about my children. I, I discover their passions and rather than me have to know them all straight away. And mm. I discover the parts of motherhood that I would do gloriously. And I'd really enjoy and the parts I'd hate ironing. Mm-hmm. I don't do mm-hmm. ironing. Mm-hmm. I never do ironing. I just, it's just not my friend. I don't uh, have an ironing board in this house, Joe. Well, so we are in it together. Good for you, sister. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and, um, and, and, and I'd be okay with that. And I don't, and I'd be okay. And when I saw my friend who loved ironing, cause it brought her sanity, I wouldn't feel inadequate mm-hmm. as a result. I'd celebrate what she loved. She'd celebrate that, what I loved. And, and I, I would not compete with other mums mm. because in my mind, I wasn't competing to be better. I was competing not to be a failure. Because you um, didn't, because you did, because of your past. Yeah. Because of my past. Yeah. And because I didn't think I'd know what to do. Uh-huh. And because I didn't think I was. I could, and I w- was uncertain that I'd be good enough for my children. Mm. Um, and so I was, um, I, 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 it helped me lay down the competition, the, the mental competition. We exa- I'd, I've met a number of women who've exhausted themselves with thinking. Do you know what I mean? Right. They've, they've exhausted themselves with thinking. Are they too much? Are they not mm. enough? Are they going to do this right? Are they, and, and uh, you know, the other thing, I think the Lord brought so much out of that wilderness season of my life. It has informed how I teach. It has informed how I lead. And so for those of us who feel that we're missing out on stuff, um, well, you know, how could I possibly be all that God's called me to be when I'm, you know, how can my preparing formula or time at the breast pump, as it were, mm-hmm. <laughs> prepare me for leadership? The thing is, when we look at the word and we look at how God prepared all their leaders, they always had the opposite of what they were promised initially. You look at Joseph, who was going to lead a nation and he started. <laughs> he didn't I mean, start out that way. It was a mess. A mess, but, yeah. But for a decade, for David, uh-huh. as he led, went into what he was about, he was a fugitive first. But Esther uh-huh. called for such a time as this. But oh my goodness, it's horrendous. Yeah. And I think even re- looking at those stories and the preparation of leaders gave me hope. Men and women in the Bible whose lives looked very different in their their messy middle was way different to the glorious stories that we hang we hang on to. And um and so I think I realized as the kids got older step by step stage by stage that, that God was teaching me and training me on how to disciple, on how to speak, how to communicate clearly all as I raised my kids. Yeah. I think that's going to be such an encouragement to women that are listening. Um, just when you talked about like, just like owning what you are and owning who you are and not trying to be something else. I think about, I think us as women, not only do we do that a lot, I think we're having conversations about that a lot lately. And I think it's a real, real, um, showing of what's in our hearts and what we struggle with. And so thank you for your encouragement because I know that's going to encourage women that are listening for sure. I hope so. Mm. I hope so. Yeah. Okay. Joe, I always ask my guests three things they're loving and what they're reading. So you can pick where you want to start. I want to start with what I'm loving. Jamie. Okay, let's go for it. I bought a pair of jeans last week, Jamie. Okay, tell I me. Bought a because... Pair of jeans because I, the skinny season was coming to an end, let's say. <laughs> okay. you know, the skinny jean season. I, I, I got into it because I got the kind of boots, the knee-high boots, and you don't want that saggy bagginess. Right, and, and right. And so I got my skinny jeans. 
And then I just thought the other day, I thought, you know, maybe I'm just going to try something different. So I got a pair. I think the brand, I'm wearing them now. So I'm going to, you'll hear me twisting about. They're called, I think they're silver, okay. silver jeans. And there's two things I love. I got boyfriend cut. The first thing is praise the name of Jesus for the boyfriend cut. Right. I forgot how much I could eat. Yes. A different cut of jean. Yeah. I forgot. Oh my gosh. They, they are like, mm, they are glorious. So okay. first of all, the boyfriend cut. The second thing I like about these jeans is the leg length because I am, I'm five foot nine, but I'm a bit disproportionate. So I have a like 35 inch inside leg, it, uh, roughly 35, okay. 36. Okay. Which means it's just hard to buy jeans normally. You know what I mean? When I walk into a store, but yeah. there's this store called Long Tall Sally. Um, Long Tall Sally. Yeah, and um, it's a, I think it's actually a British store, but there are a few of them around the US, and there's one in um in the Twin Cities area in Mall of America. Okay. And um, you walk in, you walk in, and you walk out having bought clothes. It, I know that's like it's like radical for me, and uh, I don't have to get it online. And so right. I walk in, I try on these jeans. And they are just the most amazing thing. So I've worn them every every day since. I need to buy some more. A good pair <laughs> of jeans is worth talking about. I tell you they, that much. Yes. I, because you, in the end, in the end, it's what I live in. in exactly. In the end. And um, so, yeah, that's one of the really great things that I've, that I've got recently, um, that I'm loving recently. I think I am loving, you know, it's funny what you said about the conversations with women. The conversations I'm having with women right now are just, they're, I think women who are passionate, who are exploring what it means to love God passionately and dream again, I'm loving those conversations mm. at the minute. They're mm -hmm. so inspiring. They're so, I think there's just so much creativity coming out of, I, I mean, I think pressure does that, doesn't it? Like, you know, if you, diamonds come out of coal, right. you know what I mean? And it's the pressure. There's something mm -hmm. in the refining process that births something beautiful. Mm -hmm. We see it in our journey to adopting our babies. Do you know what I mean? That pressure mm -hmm. journey, which mm -hmm. births something beautiful. We see it in our biological process of giving birth to children. We right. see it the fashioning of our lives when we create something beautiful. And I'm seeing that a lot in the minute of women who are, who are daring to dream and saying, I don't know how this is going to work, but I do feel God's in this. So I'm going to work it through to see what he's going to do. Mm. And, and that is such, it's such a beautiful place to feel ourselves. It's also, yeah. like you said, a beautiful place to see someone else, kind of the light bulb go yeah. off. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fascinated and I'm seeing it with people from every stage of life, women who are empty nesters, women who are grandmoms, women who are, who, you know, their kids are our age group or younger who are just saying with the life that I have in the world that I'm actually in. And it could be anything. It could be anything. I heard a woman t testify at church the other day and um, she is an uh, empty nester and she has just got, she ran a preschool, um, out of her home a kid, and she w felt stirred for a neighborhood in a new way. And just the testimony of her going up and talking to her neighbors and realizing it was her mission in a whole new season of her life mm. was just a wonderful thing through to another friend of mine who uh, empty nester who has felt a real heart and a passion for the refugee community. And through one thing to another is now about to go on a trip to Ethiopia to serve. I mean, just amazing things that she would Love have never, never done that with her life. She would have never thought herself qualified um, through to other friends who are starting businesses and things like that. And it's just, it's just great to see the kingdom come in precious ways. I think that's Love the it. thing I'm, I'm loving. So that's another thing I'm really enjoying. And, um, you know, I am, I think the other thing I'm loving actually is, um, is watching my kids and their friends grow up. Mm. It's, it's a real privilege actually. Um, to enjoy them all, uh, that, that watching them kind of 
they're getting more and more curious, which on one level you kind of want to be afraid of. Right. <laughs> but on another level, just realizing the privilege it is. Not, again, not just for my kids, but I'll give you an example. We, um, some of the friends came over for spring break and um, we decided to go and see a movie. We decided to see Zootopia together, which was, oh my gosh, powerful. In- I loved it. Oh my word. Just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, set the platform for all kinds of conversations, mm-hmm. what's happening in our culture. Well, our church meets in that movie theater. Um, and so when the kids were there and they brought one of the besties along and it just so happened that the, that Zootopia was in the screen where we normally do church. So it was so fun hearing the kids say, hey, this is where we do church and this is what we do when we meet for church. And, and for them to feel so re- at ease with sharing mm. something of their faith with one of their friends. Yeah. And for their friend to feel so at ease with talking about it and then uh, was just a really lovely thing. That's and, awesome. Uh, um, was just, uh, and I really enjoy their friends. I really enjoy them coming around and them talking and, and um, us having fun together and hanging with the mums and stuff. That's just been a real blessing uh, um, for me and, and hopefully a blessing for them as well. That I think the interesting thing is when I'm not traveling, I'm at home the whole time. Yeah. So it means that when, if someone's, if one of the, one of um, my f- kids' friends' parents are working or they can't be around. I'm often available if I'm not speaking somewhere. Yeah. So, um, so it's, been, it's been great to be able to serve them because they, do, they have our back a lot when we're away uh, or if I'm away or things like that. So that's just been a wonderful thing to, to watch and watch the kids grow and enter this new season as they all prepare for middle school. Uh, <laughs> get, uh, middle school is coming, Jamie. Yeah, I have it's one coming. there and it's, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world. The conversations, I, I feel I'm going to have to get fitter. <laughs> mentally and emotionally fitter yes yes next season of my life just stay in stay in the race that's what i say is just ask questions talk all those kind of things all the time i will be skyping you all Jay- the time <laughs> jamie mentor me through this oh okay what are you reading right now you know i am i am First of all, the fact that I'm reading is a bit of a miracle. It dawned on me at the end of last year that I finally am reading again because um, I love books. But uh-huh. I think with the kids and everything, I just couldn't get my head it's around. It's hard. Yeah, for sure. So there are – I've been reading about three. There's one I've just finished and one I'm just starting. Okay. And the one I've just finished is a book actually um, – is Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes. I've heard great things about that book. You know, I read it about four times. I read really? it about- – yeah, because it was this, I mean, on one level, we know her because of Scandal and, mm-hmm. and Grey's and all the other shows that this woman does. Um, but it's basically this year where she decides to say yes to things because she's basically been hiding from her life. Um, she's been hiding in her busyness. She's been hiding in her work. And, um, and she's been caught in this phenomenon where she used to be just a writer, in her words, a writer. So she didn't have to do anything public. Right. But now in this current world even the writers are kind of rock stars in their own way. Mm-hmm. And she has this anxiety with being public socially. And yet, and her sister basically challenges her by saying, oh, you never say yes to anything, to say yes. And it's the kind of book which I say to my friends, you need to read this. You need to read this book. I just want you to, I'm not going to say anything, just read it. And um, because it, what it challenged me about is, is her intentionality in, in her beginning to engage with her fears and engage with her um her past and her history and stuff. And we have a redeemer who helps us with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would it be like for us to say, yes, yeah, have a year of yes with God mm. on, on the things that maybe, you know, the, maybe it's not our biggest brokenness, but we know it's a bad habit yeah. or maybe it's not our biggest fear, but we know it, it, it has kind of life, life shaping factors about it. So that was one. I just found it really inspirational. And her journey as a woman of color, as a writer, mm-hmm. I think it was, was just really encouraging. And she talks so, about that in this book? Yeah, she does. Okay. And she, 
she talks about being she what she describes as the first only indifferent, the <sighs> FOD first only different, and um, she talks about her and Mindy Kaling, uh-huh. uh, and and just what it was like in their world. And I really, I on a personal level, I just really identified with that as well, for sure. Um, and in terms of some of the spaces I still find myself in as a leader, um, and and just in my journey of growth and leadership, often being the first woman or the only woman of color or mm. different from either culture or context or whatever mm. or different background, and some of the challenges of that. So it, some of it was just nice to breathe out. Yeah. Um, and I, I, there's something wonderful about seeing yourself and something of your own story in other people. Oh, for sure. Um, I think it was Marion Wright. It was a woman, a woman who said, "You can't be what you can't see," and. Um, and I, 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 that sticks with me. And so having, reading some, something where, where you see something, just a glimpse of your own experience was just really encouraging. So that's oh, one. I love that. One, but, and the other one, again, because of the discipleship thing, um, I'm reading and I'm, I love it actually, um, a, a book called Mentor for Life by a woman called Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. Okay. And that's it's, a lot. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a Zondervan book. So Mentor for Life by Natasha Robinson. And it's the subheading is finding purpose through intentional discipleship. And what I love about it is it has, it's kind of like that. It's got the trifecta. It's kind of really strong biblically and theologically. Um, it's really strong on stories that you can hook into, but it's also really strong in it. She has these sections where she asks you questions at the end. And so you get to interact with it as well. And, and again, it's, it's this passion for women working out how they can disciple people. Mm-hmm. And she makes it really, really accessible to you. So, so it's the kind of book that I'm, I'm kind of sitting down and I, I can read it for a while, then I'll go away and I can come back to it and pick it up again. And I can, and you it's the kind of book where you can think, you know what? I can only look at one of these questions right now, but they're still there. So I can come back. Come to back. Any yeah. Other well, that's, that's good for anyone listening to and listening to our conversation yeah. about discipleship. This might be a great book for them to pick up. I really would recommend, I would recommend it highly. I mean, I, I, I've connected with Natasha a couple of times. I don't know her well, but every, mm-hmm. every time I do connect with her, I love more and more. Awesome. <laughs> I love, more I love that. And, and, and yeah, she, uh, this woman is a real deal. Okay. Uh, I love for it. life. We'll put all of those things that Joe talked about up on the show notes so you can all listen to them. I mean, go find them, not listen to yeah. them or listen to her podcast. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, do that. Story. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I will for sure. For sure. Oh, this has been such a lovely conversation. Our conversation today reminds me a lot of what a conversation that I have with like my real life in-person girlfriends. Like we go from like talking about what we're doing to what we're passionate about, to bikinis, to jeans, yeah. to discipleship. Yeah. It's just like, this is just what I love. <laughs> so oh, it's so fun. So much fun. So thank you for joining me on the happy hour today. It was oh, so wonderful to talk with you. Thank you, Jamie. It's been lovely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Now go enjoy the spring weather you have today and love on those girls. Yes. Yes. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Guys, wasn't that a fabulous conversation with Joe? I loved chasing rabbits with her about her kids losing their accents and road trips and saying farewell to bikinis. It literally felt like a conversation that I would have with my girlfriends. One minute we're talking about discipleship and mentorship in the church. And the next minute I'm talking about bikinis. Um, it was so much fun. I loved having her on the show today. Hey guys, I also want to thank another one of the today's sponsor for the happy hour. And that is Camp Well. Camp Well was launched by Jen Sprinkle and Kelly Rucker. And what it is designed for, it's for the woman who needs a break from the busy in her life to rest and refocus on the big dreams that she has in life, ministry, and business. Uh, when Jen and Kelly developed this, they knew that they wanted to create a space where women could come together and they could reflect and refocus and rest in the midst of our busy lives. We dream such big dreams and we try to do it all. And oftentimes we get distracted and of course we become very weary. 
So there comes Camp Well. It's a four-day faith-filled venture for dreamers, doers, and entrepreneurs. And it's in Denver, Colorado this year from September 18th through 21st. It's limited to about 30 campers, and there's a few spots left. I just bought my ticket. I'm super excited about what this is offering for me, myself. They're offering our Happy Hour listeners $100 off with the code HAPPYHOUR. So head to CampWellSummit.com for more details, or follow them on Instagram at CampWellSummit, and you're going to get $100 off with the code HAPPYHOUR. And if you can't remember this, go to my blog, jamieivy.com, and there'll be more information there. And I just want to invite you to join us for this week workshops, breakout sessions, and one-on-one mentor sessions all in the beautiful city of Denver. Thank you, Camp Well. All right, friends, remember, everything we chat about is going to be up my website, jamieivy.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Share with me something that you love from this episode. I know Joe would love to hear from you as well. Today's show is edited by Knox McCoy, and the music is from Jason Poe. Next week is our Mother's Day gift guide. It's a special episode. If you remember, I did a show like this for Christmas. You can go back and listen to that. It came out in November of last year. Well, this is our Mother's Day gift guide. And Emily Lex of Jones Designs, which she's been on here three times. I love her dearly. She's joining me, and we're going to share with you some different places that would make great Mother's Day gifts. The thing about these places, though, is they're not just for Mother's Day. These are going to make great gifts for any woman in your life teacher, friend, daughter, sister, whatever. We're going to just show you some amazing companies that we would like to put on your radar that you should think about buying from this year and especially on Mother's Day. Our show is going to be super fun and all of the companies and ideas will be up on my webpage, jamieivy.com and lots of other companies have coupon codes. So you're going to love our conversation next week. Guys, enjoy your week and share the show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. I will see you next week for our Mother's Day gift guide special with Emily Lex. And after that, the next week after that, you're going to hear my conversation I had with Shelly Giglio. Guys, I'll see you next week.